When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another Record Celtic podcast. My name is Daniel Caw and I'm delighted as ever to be joined by Record Sports' Michael Gannon and Ben Banks. Guys, how are you both? Good, thanks chaps. Season's greetings. Yeah, um, season's greetings. I mean, Good. season's greetings in that the football's back and I think we're three days in and uh, 60 I'm sorry, uh, sort of a couple of rounds of games and we've already had the, our full season's filling, it seems, of... Um, decisions and, and things like that to talk about so uh, it's never quiet there's always quite a greeting as well <laughs> um before we actually come on to the fact football is officially back the, the the best football in the world i think we can agree um we talked in recent pods back about the world cup thought maybe best just to sum it up where do you stand in the messy debate the greatest ever um i think so so. Obviously, he's my is is kind of. I was a wee bit young. I know I look. I know I look a bit 150, but a wee bit young for the Maradona. Um, but I think I think Messi. Look at his CV now. It's absolutely busting it seems. Every single major honour in the World Cup. He grabbed it with a scuff of the neck. It's Messi's World Cup, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Uh, he's had his moment. Um, so I think I think he's the greatest ever. Because I know I love watching the old Maradona clips and all that stuff, and, and I'm scanning folk on on ploughed fields and stuff like that, and he's. The skill level up the chart, but you look at his consistency over twenty years, Messi, and what he's won. Um, I think it stacks up to make him the make him the greatest. Um, but I, I think so. Would you Would you think, Ben? For me, like um, I'm slightly younger, uh, so I've only like Maradona and Pele. They're sort of like um, sort of legends and myths to me. Like, I never really, obviously, seen any of them at all, and even Messi, like. I think I was only uh, in nappy still when, when Messi and Ronaldo were breaking onto the scene. So, he's going to bed. So, it's a bit odd for me sort of seeing this guy who you've sort of watched from the, the Barcelona Academy and things like that. And sort of probably the first player in my generation that you've actually been able to chart his full journey up until this point. And uh, it's, it just seems like the, the perfect ending. I know it's sort of emerged in the last um, couple of days that he's probably going to sign on and play for PSG for the next couple of seasons or so. Um, but I think it's a, it almost feels like the ending of an era properly with Ronaldo going to Saudi Arabia and, and Messi winning the World Cup. It feels like that that sort of story has now sort of come to its conclusion a wee bit. So it's a, it's kind of bittersweet. Yeah, it's nice to see that happy ending, but you're also sad that it's, that it's over. Absolutely. I think it was a good World Cup, but obviously the Premiership is back and that's uh, where our business lies today. Um, since we last did a, a Celtic podcast, um, I can maybe just quickly reference the, the game at Aberdeen. I know it was a good few days ago now, but Callum McGregor, as ever, worth his weight in gold. Absolutely brilliant goal. A game that Celtic really dominated, but, you know, just finding that breakthrough. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's certain games when, when teams score late on and, and it's a sense they, they get away with one. But I don't think that was the case at Pretoria. I think Celtic, I mean, they earned their win. I mean, they battered the door for long enough. Um, I just needed that wee bit of, bit of magic from from Cal McGregor. Um, 
I think sometimes it's forgotten about how just how good a player Calvary is. I think he's been such a good Celtic captain. I think he's been such a, an impressive figure as a captain. Um, I think they knew he was going to be, but I think he's even actually surprised a few of us just how good he's been as a, as a captain uh, in terms of his role in the dressing room, his influence, the new signings and all that stuff. I mean, he's been terrific. But on the pitch as well, I mean, there's far better, far, there's fewer that are better than him. I mean, he's a real leader on the park in terms of the way he plays. He takes tempo of the game. His passing is phenomenal. I think he's more passes himself than the entire Aberdeen team at Pitodri. Mm-hmm. And he pops up with an absolutely sensational winner as well. Um, I mean, the guy's worth his weight in gold, isn't he? Absolutely. And, and look, as I say, Benny, Celtic obviously needed to wait for that late goal, but I, I don't want to get too harsh on Aberdeen, but Aberdeen were really poor, I thought. I thought just no try to hide from it. They were just backs to the wall, behind the bus. I don't know, it was a bit embarrassing, I thought. It's one of them, like, Jim Goodwin is, is obviously coming to Aberdeen from St Mirren. I think you can get away with that performance if you're the St Mirren manager. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be all too happy about it, but you can somewhat understand it, I think, slightly more, as opposed to Aberdeen where, and Harps, Hibs, where those fans are going to be right on top of you and they're going to be expecting you to, even if you go out and get beat 3-1, 4-1, um, potentially not in the fashion they then got beaten Tuesday night either. But in terms of that, just, you know, sitting in and almost like defending the defeat, almost like it felt inevitable, even in that last 10 minutes or so, Celtic have got a real knack of scoring late goals under Ange Postecoglou. So the further you sit back and you sit back to the point where you're almost like sort of in your own penalty box for the, for the most of it, then I, I just don't get what, what's to be gained out of that. I mean, you get a point, but what do you actually get like in terms of team what do you learn about Aberdeen from that because it's not how they play against anybody else I think they're one of the highest scorers at home in the league and it totally limited all their attacking options and they showed in Tuesday against Rangers that they have those attacking options but again as soon as it maybe got a bit um, scary towards the end of the match they were looking to hold on to those three points again they just dropped back and dropped back and the same thing happened they went and got beat so I think it's really disappointing from from an Aberdeen perspective, and it's maybe been a a bit of a, a sobering week, I'd say, for for Jim Goodwin in terms of maybe the the expectations and demands of sort of what it means to sort of be an Aberdeen manager in these type of games at, at Petodrum. And Rick, obviously, I'm, I'm conscious we're not on the Aberdeen podcast, but th- 33 shots to one at the weekend um, doesn't really get much more dominant than that, does it? No, totally. But listen, I've got a wee bit of sympathy for, for Aberdeen and, and Jim Goodwin. I mean, Jim took the baton after that one, and I, I can get it. Um, it just smacked to me of a manager that had too long to think about one game. And we used to see it with, with, with Scotland games. And Scotland managers would drive themselves barmy over like three months, plotting one game, and coming out with wacky formations and, and weird ideas. And I remember Gordon Strachan playing one at the back against Gibraltar and losing a goal. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Just uh, the, the, the four, five zeros and all those things. Mm-hmm. A manager that's got too much time in his hands isn't always a good thing. I think Jim maybe overthought it slightly. Um, first game back as well. I mean, Celtic, I don't think Celtic have really hit the ground running as such since they came back. I mean, they've just two dominant displays, created a battle of chances. But they're, a bit, they're clearly a bit rusty. Mm-hmm. And they're playing pretty well. But I don't think they're, they're quite at their full capacity yet um, since the break. And I think Aberdeen overthought it. It backfired. To get a point at that, you think, fair enough, not the most pretty in the world, but and they got within three minutes, but it was a bit of a, aye, just a strange one. I think it's a lesson learned um, but for, for Jim Goodwin and Aberdeen. Uh, and in terms of Celtic, some similar 
uh, aspects of both performances against Livingston as well. Um, creating a lot of chances but not taking them. Um, but as I say, there's, a, there's ways to win matches, even late wins. Like if, they're, if they're struggling and they're scratching about, and, and like, I mean, even though they're late against Livingston, it wasn't exactly they were, they were kind of hanging on and, and not playing particularly well, just not creating chances, not, not taking chances. I think somebody is going to be in the end of a doing at some point soon with Celtic. I think that's the kind of feeling. I think they are trending in the right direction, to use a kind of a modern phrase. Um, and I think somebody's going to get it. That's, that's the kind of sense I get from Celtic right now. But well, on the Livingston game then, it obviously threw up um, quite a lot of talking points. Um, the one that I'd maybe start with, uh, Lila Bada. thought he was absolutely brilliant again last night. Um, since he joined Celtic now, he's got 24 goals and 13 assists in less than 18 months. I think he's only, he's only 21, 20? 21, yeah. 21. I mean, for a player of that age, Ben, and for the, the kind of nominal fee that he cost, he's been a brilliant, he's been an incredible signing. I think, you, I mean, when you speak about Celtic's forwards, the ones that always get mentioned are Yota, Kyogo, Giacomakis more, more recently, but Abada just seems to be the one who sort of goes about his job quietly and, and just gets on with it type thing. He's never the, the headline grabber, really. I think that's going to change. But when you really boil it down, like to come to a foreign country like don't really speak the language and come over here and make an instant impact like that and be so consistent in a position that's prone for inconsistency, I think it's it speaks a lot about his ability and perhaps more his, his temperament and things like that as well, that he's been able to handle all those sort of off-the-pitch challenges that are, I suppose, natural for... For young guys, especially ones in his type of shoes, coming over to a, a massive institution of a football club like Celtic, and I mean, you seen his, his play last night. I mean, he sets up Obelai, he stick it in his own net, he does sort of the same sort of drill for for Kyogo, and he's I'm sure we'll go into it, but he, he scores a goal off sorts um, in the second half. So uh, it just seems to be the the reliable figure. And even in the Aberdeen game, I thought the it was a really slow first half at Tawdry, but when he came on, it, it seemed to, to light the game up a wee bit, and he seems to have that impact nine games out of ten. So he's been a really impressive signing, and when you sort of when we look back at Andrew Postecoglou's time at Celtic and, and years to come from now, I, I think Leila Bada will, will be looked as one of the one of the best, especially given the fact that you know if he continues in in, in this form, his his valuation as well is going to soar through the roof. It's almost inevitable, Mick, that you know there'll be admiring glances from the Premier League and elsewhere in Europe. You'd have thought. I've absolutely no doubt. I think he is the next one who's going to make some serious money for Celtic. Um, I think they will flip him relatively quickly. I, mean, I don't know. I don't think this this January, maybe not even this summer, but I wouldn't surprise if it was as quick as that. Um, because he's, he's he's a young lad and he's twenty one years old. He's got absolutely abundance of of potential. Um, and he's also very, very handy in the, in the now as well. Um, there'll be a queue of clubs looking at him. I've no doubt about it. But he's not the biggest physically, but he's rapid, quick, uh, and he's got end product. And that's the thing that, that, that teams want the most, the end product. You look at his goals and assists. It's, it's, it's absolutely priceless. So I've absolutely no doubt that he will be the one that makes some serious money for Celtic at some point. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really important as well, considering Jota has looked a little bit, understandably, but a little bit rusty since Celtic came back. That Abada last night picked up, you know, the responsibility. Um, and Ben, you you touched on yeah, it. But he, he can't pass right enough, Jota. I can't. You can't knock his tash. 
Aye, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's a bit rusty, but he's got that kind of Bob Carroll G's thing going on here. He's got some barn um, as well. Sorry, Ben, that's a bit of a barbecue to be that. Well, I, was gonna, I was gonna say I think Tom Selleck and Friends is a bit as far back as I go when it comes to mustaches and things like that. No one said that Tash in the eighties anyway, so I don't think I don't think you've ever seen a Tash in the flesh, have you? <laughs> I haven't. I think Michael Doyle at Aki's when he was rolling about with one during the November and the uh, and the World Cup break was about as close as to one as I've got in, in my time, but they're a they're a distant memory for this generation. <laughs> um, well, Abada obviously got on the score sheet in the, in the crucial 2 1 win, but as you mentioned, Ben, uh, he probably should have well, should he have had a second goal? We've we've all just taken a quick look at it before we started recording. It's a difficult one. A lot of Celtic fans on social media were kind of up in arms about it and seemed to think that he'd been kind of outdone of another another strike. But I mean, Mick, it's, it's so many conflicting rules about it. Well, actually, this one. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you went to ask me this oh. question and then passed over to Mick, so I'm quite happy to... I think, listen, the offside rule, I don't want to sound like an old man again, but the, but the guy's offside, he's off, the ball's hooked in, he's offside position, he's offside. Now there's first phase, second phase, active, non-active. From what I can gather is that uh, a bad has come back, he's moving back from offside position, the ball's hooked across. Um, the ball's not getting towards him at any point in that stage. He's not interfering with play. He's not near the defender. The defender gets a contact on the ball. The ball goes back at his path. He then sticks the ball back in the net. Uh, the argument is that by the defender touching that ball back towards his own goal, it becomes then he's active and he's onside and it should be a goal. But I think it, it's come down to I think the rule book says that if it's an intent of the defender, if he, if he intends to play that ball back, he then would make a badder onside. And, and uh, if he doesn't intend it, then he's active in the first phase. And so it's all about intent, really. So the, the, the officials have decided that, that um, was it Morgan Boys? Yeah. Um, didn't mean to, to do that and hit the head the whole back away into the path of, of uh, Abada. So therefore, it became offside. I think that's how the rule works. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I don't have a, a the, an, an IFAB registered degree, which you need to, to know the rules of the game of football now. Um, but I think I gather that's the that's the interpretation. Um, so if he, if the referee and the officials in the VAR think that the boys didn't mean to do that, and I could see why they would think that because he kind of stumbles, doesn't he? He kind of stumbles and hits his head and spins back. So, but you, you, listen, unless you can climb into the guy's head and work out what he's thinking at that very moment, you don't know what intent. Intent is interpretation. Of what you think he intended to do, and they thought he didn't intend to do that. Therefore, it was offside. But it's one of these ones. Remember that thing on the internet years ago with the dress that was blue or green, not stuff. Never <laughs> argued all of it. You're going to argue the, this this one as well. It's another one decisions. It's about intent, and you can't prove intent. See, for me though, it's like talking about the World Cup at the start of this. I can't really remember a bad decision outside of maybe a couple of the World Cup that were more than thirty seconds a minute. Again, it's it's meant to be an offside call, and there's teething problems with this. We were warned of that. But again, it's taken four or five minutes again, you know, in the stands, people are wondering what's going on and things like that. Managers are wondering what's going on. So regardless, I mean, you can have the debate of was it an offside, was it not an offside? I think in any case, the, the speed of decisions needs to be needs to be getting better. And I know that's not an overnight fix, but again, we're back, we're back talking about VAR and um, how slow it is, the problems with it and things like that. What's the interpretation of this? What's the interpretation of that? And I think Derry Martindale was speaking about it, that VAR's there to assist the referee. It's not there to referee. Um, and I think this, the sooner it gets back to that, the better, because I think 
aye, it's it, it, for me it's just taking too long and it is taking away from the, the spectacle a wee bit and it does become a wee bit of a theatre that people are beginning to get a, a bit tired of. See, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with the VR, and even that instance, mm. um, it will it will speed up. And plus, I think the first few months and maybe even seasons, referees are a wee bit using it as a bit of a safety net for checking things. That, when it really is only there for clear and obvious errors. Um, so that one the other night, that offside call is a call that was made would be made normally by the linesman and the referee together, and they decide straight away. And it's a it's a call. It's an interpretation call, so something they feel at the time in their gut or what they think it is, and they call it. I don't have a problem going checking it because it's, it's so that one is such a weird one. I don't have a problem going and say, well, I might, I might want to look at that one because that's I'm going in my gut, but I don't mind having a look at that one. So I can understand it. It's the ones that are blatantly obvious and they're still going to check. You think, well, do you know what? I mean, it's it, have a bit of confidence in your own abilities. A grade one referees that have done a lot of time in the game to get where they are. Um, I like to see if he's in a bit more confidence their own abilities to make decisions rather than having to go right. We need to go and check it. or need to go and check it. And the guys in the VAR room, unless it's a, a clear and obvious mistake, if it's down to interpretation, allow the referee. Unless he wants a look, allow the referee to make that decision. If he thinks it at a time, unless it's absolutely the wrong decision, don't flag it up for for the VAR. I think the World Cup did that actually. I think the World Cup they let them make decisions a bit more mm-hmm. than in, in, in league games, and, and certainly in Scotland in the first few months. But listen, again, it's the first few months of this. We knew it was going to be take a bit of time to get used to it um, and, and get a bit of confidence with the, the whole setup. Um, and it'll come. I think it will come. It'll be, it'll be better in the, in the long run once we get used to it. But I just I'd like to see officials have a bit of belief in themselves to make big calls and the guys in the VR and say, right, leave them to it. They know what they're doing. Right. It's blatantly obvious. For, see, for me, it's the frustrating aspect of it is that it's the, um, it's the inconsistency still. It's like you, you think back to the Burnaby handball against Dundee United where he, he was facing the other way and he and, you know, concedes a penalty for that. And you're looking around the rest of the Premiership, there's you know, more obvious handballs than that that aren't even you know, um, referenced. You, you, VAR don't even look at it. And it just becomes really frustrating. It's almost, in my opinion, VAR is always making it more frustrating if you're a fan. You know what I mean? Because it's you've got it there, but it's often not checked and it's... I don't know. It's thrown up for me more problems than answers so far, but it's still early days, I guess. Left <laughs> you most under. No, indeed. Awesome. Aye, again, but that, these ones, especially the handball ones now, they're, they're down to interpretation. I mean, so the referee might see something some way, and the guy in the, the, the VAR room see it differently. Uh, and on the pitch, the, the different referees would offer different uh, awards for different decisions. So it's hard to kind of compare these ones. I mean, the Burnley ones I thought was, was, a, was a shocker. The, the, the Matt O'Reilly one was actually against Ross County was actually worse. I mean, having a look at that in the tape and then and then still coming to that conclusion, I, I thought was bizarre. Um, but again, the, the, it's about the rule book is has got so convoluted as well. It's made it difficult for these guys. And now every time the ball hits an arm in a box, people think it's a penalty kick. Mm-hmm. Um, and this natural position and all that stuff. Your natural position when you're playing football, your arms are flying about all the place. You can't, there's not much you can do about it. I know. Um, I'd rather we get back to, uh, I hate, I'm feeling like I, I'm selling an old funny daddy. <laughs> it was a handball because it looked like one. Like if somebody handled the ball in the box, it was all about intent. Did he mean it? And usually you could tell with the guy's face, a defender's face. I mean, they, they usually standing with his, with his face, like, like a hand in the cookie jar with a face full of chocolate. It, it looked guilty. 
I mean, that is the referee's just to judge it on. It's a handball because he looks like a handball. Um, and I've gone away from that and, and to look at the minutia and, and pouring over every freeze frame. And a still picture doesn't look like it does in, in real life because you can make any still picture look at uh, however you like, really. Right. Um, I just would like it to get, with the mind about common sense and get back to using your gut. I mean, even looking at it in camera, you can still go, nah, he didn't, he didn't mean that. Well, that's that's not, his arm can't be anywhere else but there. Um, I just would like, wish, wish the officials would use a bit, a bit of common sense, that's all. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Um, we mentioned earlier on that Ange Postacoglu wasn't particularly um, over the moon with the performance last night um, against Livingston. Some of his quotes after the game, he seemed really kind of peeved. Uh, obviously saying um, it was important to win, the performance wasn't our best. Um, we did the things we wanted to, but I was disappointed. Um, we've had a lot of success playing that way, so when it doesn't happen, I get frustrated because there's no reason we shouldn't do it. And he seemed to be really annoyed about getting into good areas, but no one there to kind of finish it off. And that, to me, intrigues me more about the Giacomacca situation because we know he's been linked with a move away from Celtic. He's obviously wants a new contract, apparently. But he only got eight minutes last night, Ben. And, I mean, is it fair to say it looks like the writing is on the wall for him? I don't know. I... I don't know how much you can read into sort of a, a we spoke before there's an Instagram post of him putting a sand timer up and things. I don't know how much you can you can read into these things. The only thing I would say is that like Ange Postacoglu brings on Giacomacus off the bench with ten minutes to go and things like that. He's saying after the game, Oh, I was quite disappointed with aspects of this performance. Yet Celtic still won pretty comfortably. The scoreline doesn't show that, but they still won extremely comfortably. And I think that's a pretty ominous sign for the rest of especially teams sort of in Livingston type bracket that you know Celtic don't can be playing in low gears and still pretty much close to, to victory. But I mean on Jack Marcus, like I I think for a striker like him, when his numbers have been as good and it looks like Kyogo sort of is the sort of number one front man at the minute. I suppose it's natural that after a season of playing sort of Champions League football in some capacity as well, that he maybe wants to be a, a number one man somewhere. That doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go in January. doesn't even necessarily mean he's going to go in the summer. But I think eventually you want to be playing more than half an hour here, half an hour there, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly one to, to keep an eye on because I, I would imagine that even though competition is fierce, he's, he's probably going to want to be playing a lot more than he is just now. I just, Mick, I just feel that I really hope that Celtic can work this out and keep Jackamakis because he's a pro, you know, at this level, he's a proven goal scorer. He's been an excellent signing for Celtic. He's the complete um, polar opposite to Kyogo and style of play. And if, if he has to be sold, I just think it's going to be so hard to replace him. Uh, yes and no. I, I, I said before, I, I think he's a good player. I think he, he, Celtic play pretty well when he's in the team um, with the option he gives them. But listen, we we don't see him in training every day. Um, I mean, I just a couple of season every day in training. So he's in a, he's in a better position to make a judgment on a weekly basis of whether or not he can start games. Um, for all we know, he's he's, he's it's not 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 impressing in training, whatever. Um, so you have to trust the manager on, on that one. Um, I think he's a, he's, a, he's a very useful. He's a goal scorer, so it's always just like a goal scorer. Um, but, but at the same time, Jackie Mike has to be careful because. He's not indisposable because I mean he scored a, he has scored a bar of the goals. But if you're playing up front for Celtic, you do tend to score a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. I mean that's just the, the, the number of chances that Celtic create. I mean they're creating twenty five to thirty chances a game in the penalty. Um, 
I'm telling you, I, I fancy myself to put one or two in my way. Let's not go nuts here. A, a retired fat goalkeeper. <laughs> um, so I, I think he has to be a wee bit careful, Jackie Marcus, um, in, 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 in finding his position. Whether or not he's been moaning about not playing, I, don't, I, mean, I wouldn't surprise him if he did, because, he, listen, players want to play and he has got a great record. And I think he's a useful player to have. But this idea that he can't be replaced, I don't quite, I don't quite buy that either. Um, and I suspect that Celtic have got a few lined up. Well, uh, would argue that they have got somebody lined up for for January already to come in and um, compete for the striking roles. So um, it's very much up to Jackie Marcus. Um, I see. I think he's a good player and very useful. And uh, his record's terrific. Um, I, I, it's easy for us now to say we'll give him a run in the team because I think Ayo scored that night. But again, he's not quite been himself. He scored twelve goals this season. Yeah, it's pretty good. But he's not quite been as, as sharp in front of goal. Missed a few chances against Aberdeen as well, didn't he? So you think, oh, Jackie Mack is worth the running team. Um, I suspect that Postacoglu is wanting Kyogo to play through this period and, and get his touch back and get his sharpness back, which is why he's getting a lot of game time. Um, add in the fact there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding Jackie Mack's future. So why would you chuck him in if you think he's in it for the off in January? You want to play your main man back into your form. Not that, he's off, not that he's off form as such, but you know what I mean? He's just not quite... 12, 12 goals is pretty good for somebody off form. That I mean. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But, he's, but you know what I'm saying? But he, he, does miss, he missed a few chances at Pataudry. Uh, he was quite quiet second half uh, the other night as well. Um, so I can understand manager wanting to play him into more form, into better form, um, especially if there is a bit of, a bit of, kind of tension behind the scenes with Jackie Marcus. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one other player that I really wanted to kind of um, give a pat in the back to, um, and I'm really—he's really grown in me since he, he's established himself as Carol Starfelt. Now I know he, he spent a lot of time out injured last season, but when he first arrived at Celtic, you remember the, uh, the bizarre own goals against Alkmaar and the Europa League qualifiers? It was like something at the circus, um, and he really didn't look the part. But see now at Petardry, I thought he was outstanding, really good again last night. And I know Jens has had, you know d- did well when he's come in, but for me, Starfelt has got to start every big game alongside Carter Vickers. I just think he reads the game so well. Yeah, he seems to be the sort of reliable man alongside Cameron Carter Vickers now. Like um, Maurice Jens, I think, has actually done okay. So when he's came in, it'll be interesting to sort of see what the, the plan for the long-term centre-back futures are at, at, at Celtic now that sort of they've got the new boy Yuki Kobayashi coming in. What does that mean for, for Stephen Welsh and, and different things like that? But um, in terms of Carl Stalfell, I think it's... Celtic have got a pretty defined back that sort of middle pairing now with Cameron Carter-Vickers, who has got that spot in the team for, I think, as long as he wants it, um, such as his performances have been in Cal Stalfield has slowly grown into it, I think. So I think some of the, the criticism at the start was a bit unjust. Aye. There was a there was a few, you know, questionable moments and, and things like that, but I think he's overall playing most games. You know, he is quite key in, in passing out from the back and things like that and sort of starting how how Celtic want to play if they want to build up the left. So I, I think some of the criticism has been a bit unjust and certainly in the last sort of six months of his performances, when he when he's been fit, he's he's certainly looked the, the part and um, yeah, I think he's probably silenced some doubters with his performances, especially this season when he's been fit because he has come in sort of cold turkey a wee bit after being uh, injured for a while and he, he hasn't looked like he's missed a day. Would you, are you a fan, Mick? Yeah, I think it's a class act. Um, he came in last season, uh, started last season, he chucked in at the deep end, and a few, I think a few European moments. I think he has a guy, he has got the odd moment in him. I think occasionally 
he can have these kind of little little moments when he causes a, a few hearts to flutter. Um, but a lot of good centre halves have that as well. Remember guys like um, Derek Boyata was one. He's a great one for for having these kind of bomb scare moments, didn't he? As well, good big player at his, in his day, but he had a, a few moments in him as well. Um, maybe not, maybe not Virgil Van Dijk. He was uh, too busy just kind of um, smoke cigars and playing his slippers. Um, but Starfield, I think, has been a, has been a class act. I think he's been really good. Um, and by the end of last season, he was he was terrific. Um, unfortunate to get injured in the summer, then come back into the game against Rangers. Uh, so it's been a frustrating first half of the first chunk of the season for him. Um, but now he's back, I expect him to stay there. Um, I, I, I like Morris Ian as well. I think he's, he's a decent player. He'll get games here and there. But I think Starfield's the main man. Um, and he's a, a, a good, solid um, defender. Um, I, I don't think there's an issue there. I think him and, him and Captain Vickers have a good relationship as well. So that, they'll be the first choice pairing, and the other guys will, will slot in when needed. But uh, no, he's been, a, he's been a good sign for Celtic. And you, Ben, you mentioned that obviously um, Celtic's two latest recruits, uh, Alistair Johnson and uh, Yuki Kobayashi, were paraded before the game, before kickoff last night. Ange Postacoglu has hinted at more signs coming in. We've obviously talked about the striker position, which you know, you'd imagine he's looking at. Is there anybody else that you think maybe could do with freshening up? I think striker sort of the main one probably if Jack Marcus goes. I think if he doesn't, then there's not really much need to. You've got obviously Kyogo and Jack Marcus there. I think Maida was initially signed as like a as a striker, but he's played mainly out on, on the flanks. He's certainly got the capability to play there and the, the World Cup certainly showed that that he's more than capable of, of handling himself up there. And they've got plenty of options on the flanks. Um Maybe a, a physical defensive midfielder, like something a bit different. I've not really seen Oliver Abelgaard at all mm-hmm. um, since since he came in. Um, they've not really got like a, otherwise it's, it's a proper old man in the pub type shout, but the Victor Wanyama type type, I don't really like saying that, but <laughs> in terms of that sort of physical presence in there. But again, I think you're, I think you're nitpicking a wee bit. Um, I don't think a lot will sort of get done itself. And I think it's a, a testament to their recruitment that they have got sort of two guys in so quickly. They've obviously known what they want well in advance. I think Andrew Postacoglu spoke about that before, that he sort of plans a couple of windows in advance and things like that. And that, that certainly showed last year. They brought in, obviously, Maida, Hitati and uh, Idiguchi uh, before January. They've brought in these two guys now before January. So I think that is a massive help because already by the time you get to the sort of start of January for that big run of games, you've already got two guys there who've been in the building for a few weeks, got to know the clock and things like that. And, are pretty much ready to to hit the ground running if they're if they're given the opportunity. So I think it's more fine tuning for Celtic rather than you know having to to do anything drastic. The only way that will happen is if you know players go the other way. And it's really refreshing, Mike, to be in a position where Celtic they appear to have became really agile in the transfer market, really quick at getting transfers done when that wasn't always the case previously. And you look at the Juranovic situation. You know, every day has been linked to you know likes of Roma, Barcelona. You know. Man United, Chelsea, Celtic can just sit back and say, look, we've already got his replacement in, basically. And, you know, they can just let the, the, the bidding war commence if, if there is to be one. Um, I think it's fair to say Celtic deserve praise for their, their recent um, work in the transfer market. No, it's not just that position either. I think they've got that in a few positions. I think we mentioned Abada earlier. Maybe Haksabanovic has come in, I think he's a good player as well. Um, I think you'll see the best of him second half of the season. Um I think Celtic could be interesting in January. Um, I think it will depend on departures. I think, but I think Celtic have got 
contingency plans for a lot of positions. I mean, I think you look at Juranovic and, and Jackie Marcus probably going to go in January, but you could see big bids for. You wouldn't be surprised a big bid coming for a You wouldn't be surprised a big bid coming for Carter Vickers. Um, I think Jota maybe injury because injuries first half of the season might might make January too soon for him. But these guys are all we have people looking at them, and it could be interesting. And I don't think that the, the manager is scared to sell. In fact, given what you said before at the AGM about being nimble in the market and not getting too attached to heroes, I think he will sell. And I think I think he has an idea of who he can bring in to replace these guys. Some are already in the building, like you say, you mentioned Arthur Johnson, he'll be competing with, with Tony Ralston for that right back role. Uh, another striker um, potentially on the way if Jackie Marcus goes. So it, it's going to be, it could be a really interesting, it could be a really interesting window uh, all against the backdrop of a, of a, of a title race. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I think they will they will make moves if need be. Um, it could be a lot happening in both directions. Excuse my ignorance here. I probably should have did this research before we started. But you might know, Mick, can Johnston and Kobayashi play before January? No. No, they can't, can they? Aye, okay. No, no they can only register, register on January the 1st. Aye. Um, well, the game's coming up between now and then are um, a couple of big ones. Obviously, Celtic have got St Johnston at home on Christmas Eve. Uh, followed by Hibs away on the 28th, and then, of course, the big showdown at Ibrooks in the second. I mean, you would really expect full points between now and the 2nd of January, wouldn't you? I think we looked last night um, doing the game. I think if you include the Livingston game last night, um, seven of Celtic's next ten, including that one, um, are all at Celtic Park. Uh, so, I mean, it's bookended with a home home game against Livingston, then another home game against Livingston at the start of February. So I've obviously got this, a couple of tricky trips in there, one notable one. Um, but yeah, I think this this run is going to be, it's, we're going to see Celtic slowly more through the gears, especially at home where teams are, I, I think that have a bit of the fear factor going to Celtic Park and things like that, that if we come at it a wee bit, then we're going to, we're going to be the, on the end of, of a sore one. So I think this period is going to be really interesting for Celtic that they have got that sort of, for the first, I can't really remember the last time Celtic had a, a clean run of domestic games like this. I think in that run there's three or four games as well at home on, on the bounce. So um, yeah, they've obviously got the, the derby to contend with, but I, I think outside that, then this is a, a no game is easy as the old cliche goes, but um, it's certainly got the makings of a very promising one for Celtic. And when you've already won all of your games at bar one away from home, then yeah, it, it could be um, could be a very interesting period. And you'd be hoping, Mick, that the, the full squad will be up to speed by the time the trip to Ibrox comes? You'd think so. Um, I think there's signs of rust in the first couple of games, but that was understandable, I guess. And every team is feeling that as well. Um, I touched on it earlier. I do think they've, they've got another gear to find. Um, a couple of tricky games in the build-up, um, especially Easter Road's an interesting one. Um, but if you're in that dressing room at Celtic Park, you're thinking this is a huge opportunity to really put the foot down in the title race. I mean, if they can get through the next two games with six points, then avoid defeat uh, at Ibrox, that's a huge advantage in the turn of the year, isn't it? Um, like you say, a, lot of, a big chunk of, of home games on the horizon as well. They could really be in a really dominant position um, given to the, the new year. Almost an almost insurmountable position, you've got to think, um, yeah. if they're not at that stage. Um, I don't think they're quite at that stage already. Um, it was only 15, 16 games gone or 17 games gone. 
Um, so not quite there yet, but this next kind of fortnight, three weeks could really stamp their authority in this division. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we'd get them towards towards the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I, I say I think there's another level to come from them from what we've seen so far. Whatever you think about Scottish football, it is really boring. Um, guys, I could could do this all day, um, but I think that brings us to the end of today's um, Record Celtic podcast. Uh, I should say to both of you, have a good Christmas when it comes. And yourself, Sarkis, good to you. Absolutely. And I should say for everyone listening, you can find us at record underscore sport on Twitter, at daily record underscore sport on Instagram as well. And for everyone listening, have a good Christmas. Cheers.